Welcome to the Architect of Change Show with your host, Connie Whitman of Whitman and Associates. Now, here's Connie. Welcome to webtalkradio.net. I'm your host, Connie Whitman, and you're listening to Architect of Change. Thanks so much for joining me this week. So my motivational quote for today is by J. Sakia Sandifer, and it says, True leaders don't create followers, they create more leaders. When you hear the word change in your workplace, what's the first thought? Is it, ooh, I'm excited to see what those new changes are and the new opportunity that it's going to provide for me and my team? Or do you think to yourself, here we go again, another change from the higher-ups, it's the new flavor of the month, it won't stick, and it's probably stupid, and it's going to hurt us. I just know it. Over 50% of us, unfortunately, respond with the second doom and gloom reaction. The unknown is downright scary. Isn't it also very necessary to become better, stronger, and more profitable, though? Of course. Change is necessary, yet the initial gut reaction is nothing short of dramatic and frightening. So why is this? Why do we resist change with such fervor? If we just let go and see what the changes talked about would actually be and have the first thought of, hmm, could this change be good for me or for my team, wouldn't that be easier and a heck of a lot less stressful? My guest today is Doug Krug, and he's going to help us see the light and provide an alternative and a process that may take the angst out of our reaction to change. For 15 years, Doug has taught at John Hopkins University's MBA program. Doug has also served in executive development programs at the CDC, FBI, DEA, and NASA, VA, IRS, and the Labor and Secret Service Academy. Doug is a thought leader in creating and sustaining high-performance organization, and he's written three books on the power of transformation and thinking. His latest book is The Missing Piece in Leadership, How to Create the Future You Want. Please help me welcome Doug to the show. So, Doug, thank you so much for being on the show. Really appreciate this. Oh, my pleasure, Connie. Thanks for the opportunity. Uh, again, my pleasure. Now, I, I think <laughs> when I read your credentials, and of course, you know, I saw NSA, um, um, yeah, the NSA, the DEA, the FBI, I immediately thought, well, my first question, of course, has to revolve or uh, start with the framework of the governmental kind of um, organizations. You know, the blacklist, I don't know if you watch that, or Homeland, that's on TV. They're both super popular shows, I think because we're intrigued by government, right? So my first question actually is, what is the difference or do you see a difference between the culture that um, exists or that you helped develop at the FBI and is there a big difference from that which you do at the Fortune 500 companies? Well, first, what might be a little shocking to people listening (laughs) is there are some things in the culture of some of these agencies that corporate America would pay big bucks to get. In fact, they pay, corporate America pays big bucks to get some things that are natural in many of these government agencies that I've worked with. And that is the people are committed to doing what they're doing. 
it's it's not so much a job as a mission and now take nasa for example they are on a mission with what they do the there's some misunderstandings with some federal agencies i'll give you one real quick mm-hmm. and i'm going to do this short term but let's take medicare i spent one year with the 41 top execs at medicare preparing them mentally for the changes that were coming with the affordable care act now whether or not you like it the piece that the public seems to forget is the employees the people who walk in the door there every day are totally committed to their mission they can only execute policy that's voted to them so where we might be upset sometimes and that's a big misunderstanding about some government agencies we might be upset the people who do the work can only execute the policy that's handed to them by the elected people so now in corporate america there are five experience far more people who have a, just a job not so much a mission so that's a part of the culture that's different that you might not uh might not be public awareness the, now it's the interesting oh go ahead okay oh, finish your thought and then i have a question yeah well the deeper part of your question about it is that whether it's a corporate arena or whether it's government there is a culture and the what gets produced how the people do the work they do is a function of the culture and it's not a good bad like bad in the government good in corporate america uh, i have worked with some pretty depressing corporate teams uh, and at some pretty high levels and because of the culture so that's to, the bottom line answer to your question is there isn't i don't see any real difference it's humans it's dealing with humans in the dynamic of dealing with people to produce a result yeah yeah i i totally totally get that you know we forget that we're humans you know what working and existing amongst oh imagine that other humans right that we're functioning in now i you know the perception of government employees um do you think or have you seen that the lower level government employees do they push back to the leadership right of whatever their division or department is uh just as we see in the corporate environment or is there is there a difference with that Well, I don't know that you could delineate it government versus corporate. Again, it's a function of the culture, and the culture is a function of the leaders, the yep. people who the people report to. And I well, was asked at a dinner a few years ago, name the top 5 leaders you have ever worked with, the ones who impressed you most as leaders. And I named them and then the person said who was a vp of a corporation said and what organizations are they with and i said i mentioned it to her and she says wait a minute three of those are government are you telling me that three out of the five most impressive leaders you've ever worked with are in the federal government i mean shocked wow and the truth is yes that because of the leadership it's a function 
The culture is a function of the person people report to. It's, yeah. It, that's, that's it simply. Yeah. And you can, you can have, uh, and I won't mention the organization, but they, from the top came down that um, we will only travel to for specific things. We're going to cut our budget right now. We're only going to travel to specific kinds of things. The leader of the division I was working with interpreted that as no more travel. Nobody's traveling anywhere. So that wasn't, that's part of the culture of that leader. You can bet that the people who report to that leader are going to show up differently and apply themselves differently to the tasks they're doing than a leader who is more transparent, uh, honest, authentic, and who supports their people, develops people, not establishes and imposes rules. Because they all knew what had been turned. Everybody in that division knew what the what came down from the very top of that organization. Yeah. That the leader they reported to translated it and you can bet that had an impact on performance of those people. It's interesting because I think we, I know I see that often and with my corporate clients that, you know, the, the CEO or whoever, right, is making the policy of whatever the shift in culture or the shift in the strategic plan for the, for the uh, business. And it's clear, it's clear to the next level, maybe even the next level, and then all of a sudden there's some type of breakdown, and when you get back to the people who are executing whatever the culture is or whatever the steps are, whatever the strategy is, um, there's disinterest, there's pushback, there's they have no idea what we're up against, so you get all that type of resistance, and it really boils down to poor uh, communication on the way down where you if you have a um, uh, I don't want to use the word weak but if you have a leader that can't communicate effectively to their team bam you have this this disconnection and that's really dangerous so what talk of resistance what do you find where do you see the most resistance when any company is implementing change well first this is the framework for the work that we do, which is leading change without resistance. The framework is really simple. If we didn't cause so much resistance to begin with, we wouldn't have to spend so much time, so much money, and so much effort overcoming it. That's the basic premise. There doesn't have to be resistance when there's a change. We, we've somehow morphed into this belief that there's a certain way you go about implementing a change and this is how you do it. And it seems like we keep doing it the same way, trying harder, even though this approach keeps proving it doesn't work. Yeah, what? so almost start with the end in mind. If you think there's going to be resistance, address the resistance and then implement the change. Well, it's not even addressing the resistance. It's, it's not causing it to begin with. Yeah. <laughs> First is the, the whole concept of change. We, we've got this belief out there that change is an event. 
if an organization isn't in a constant flow of discovery and evolution moving toward their current idea of where they want to be, then that organization is going to die. It's going to fall off the vine. So the fact that we even talk about change blows my mind. Now, take that into account. Second is here's the traditional approach organizations take to implementing a change. One is identify the problem. And most often it's also who caused it. Second, go looking for an expert that sounds like they've got the right idea how to solve our problem. Third, bring the expert in to tell everybody how to do what they're doing the right way. Step four, this is the killer. Step four is overcome all the resistance we just caused with steps one, step two, and step three. Yeah, we get into the, the death loop. Yes, exactly. And then all the time and energy goes into hoping sooner or later enough people will get on board that we have some success. So being a bit of a contrarian, what we started to look at years ago, I've been doing this now for three decades, and here, here's an example. I'll give an example first. Uh, I was asked by Health and Human Services, Secretary Thompson came in as the Secretary of Health and Human Services, and he had a personal interest in improving the results with organ donation. So I was asked to come in to take a look at how we could save more lives through organ donation. So they had had decades of only 1% to 2% improvement per year. What They'd celebrate 2% because it was 100% improvement over only 1%. Wow. For decades, we produced 13% improvement the first year using a different approach that's now called the signature style. Uh, Medicare Health and Human Services just refer to this approach uh, as the signature style. What it starts with, are you, do you want me to go into that? Cause it's well, what I just want to ask. So when you increased it from 2%, right, to 13%, yeah. they must have thought you were a god. <laughs> well, it's, it was so simple to do and it's so effortless it just happens to be 180 degrees away from how most change is implemented yeah yeah and we have to take a quick break but i'm just i'm giggling to myself because you know we keep using the same model to implement change that doesn't work but we keep doing it and and like what you know the definition of insanity doing the same thing over and over and expecting yes. a different result so are we all crazy you know you stop you have to stop and just wonder for a sec so let's take a quick break and then i'm really curious as to when you talk about resistance so what are the steps so that we can implement change and not even have resistance be an issue at any point during um that implementation process okay so uh, it's a quick break and then we'll talk about that a speaker has little value to an audience unless you the listener is motivated and empowered to change 
Connie Whitman of Whitman Associates is a renowned speaker and is an architect of change. Consultations, training, seminars, and speaking engagements are the venues where she affects change. Whether your responsibilities include customer service, sales, marketing, training, executive management, or ownership, and you are seeking change in your organization, then you need to hire Connie Whitman of Whitman Associates. Connie doesn't just fill your ears with rhetoric. She speaks to the heart and success of your business. So next time you need to hire a speaker, don't hire someone that just talks. Hire an architect of change, Connie Whitman. Just ask for Connie by calling 732-888-1420. That's 732-888-1420. Or email Connie at WhitmanAssociates.com. We are back and we are on with Doug Krug and we're talking about just, I'm sorry, it's Krug. I'm Krug. Sorry, I I'm sorry. That's earlier. okay. Oh, shame on me, Krug. Um, the U, I'm, you know, North Jersey. K-R-U-G to me is Krug. <laughs> Krug. You should have O-O-G in your name. <laughs> uh, sorry about that. Like, I do apologize. Um, no, so the resistance... That resistance we're talking about really shouldn't even be a factor or a blip in the change process. So how do we avoid that? How do we do that? Well, number you said it doesn't have to be. The, the only reason there's resistance to change is because we cause it. People do not resist change. They resist being changed. Yeah. They don't want anybody else to do it to them. Keep the, I'll bet there isn't anybody out there listening that hasn't made at least one, if not more, major changes in their life, and they did it instantly. And so, by choice. And by choice. So yeah. here's, here's the piece that seems to have slipped by our conscious awareness and our whole society. The number one problem today in organizations is how good they're getting at problem solving. Problem solving has become the biggest problem in any organization <laughs> today. It's, it's, we got this belief that what we have to do is solve problems. Now here's the piece that seems to have slipped past their conscious awareness. There are, yes, there are times when things don't work. There are also times when things are working exactly the way we want them. The part that slipped by our conscious awareness is that both of those are caused. When it's not working, it's caused. It's also caused when it is working. And our entire society has become fascinated with understanding everything they can about why it's not working and who caused it. Yeah, if the pointing of the finger. More, yes. If we had more things working, we would have less problems to solve. So the approach that totally mitigates resistance is bring a team together and not... See, here, here's a question I ask every executive team I work with. Raise your hand if you've ever been part of anything in your entire career, if you've ever been part of anything that was going really well and the leader brought the team together and said, what are we doing to cause that to work so well? Zero hands go up. I had a group two days ago. 
200 people when I ask that question. These are the, the management team of a large company. Three people raised their hands that they'd ever been asked, what is it that's working? The next question is, how many have ever been part of something that the leader calls them together when there's something that isn't working? And, of Everybody's course, all the hands go up. Sure. So what we have forgotten is that when it's working, it's caused. If we keep doing more of what's working, we will have less problems to solve. So let's say you're doing a check-in with your team on an assignment or a, or a project. The first question to ask them is, what are we doing that is working? Out of all the things we're doing right now, what is working? What's going to be the difference in the mindset of the people after a conversation of what is working versus what's the problem and whose fault? Well, then they, they we get to brag. They get to brag about yeah. what's working in their department or if somebody implemented a strategy at a lower level that's really taking off. They could talk about their successes, right? It's, it's an opportunity yes. to brag and shine. Yes. And, and how can... Uh, leadership how can people with titles and by the way having a title does not make a leader agreed a person with a title agreed how can people in these roles not be aware of this simple distinction that if you start by having your people become defensive by making them wrong that you're going to get resistance OMG, yeah. what are we missing? So yeah. if that causes resistance, what's going to get them to buy in? See, buy in, or let's get to that. So what's going to get them more engaged and wanting to be part? Start by acknowledging them for what they're doing well. Can, I want to comment on that. I want to comment on that, Doug, because, you know, the reality is that people do their job, whatever, whatever level it is, whatever your job is, dig, digging ditches, doesn't matter. 80% of what we do, we actually do well. It's the 20% that we need to tweak, develop skill to, you know, to get us to the next level, what have you. And, and in coaching, when I teach my coaching classes, you know, I always start by, you don't say, this is what you're doing wrong. This is your weakness. You start by saying, hey, man, these are all the cool things, great things you're doing for me, for our team, for yourself, for the organization, for our division, whatever. Thank you. Keep doing it. And you know what? You, we're going to start talking about this piece today in our coaching session. And this, we're going to make you as good at all the other stuff you're doing. We're going to do that together. We're going to implement that together. People do not brush their teeth in the morning and look in the mirror and say, you know what? How can I go into work today and screw up? I, I just don't believe that's how our, uh, our people are wired. We're wired to do what we do 80% of the time right, yet leaders, managers, I don't think leaders, managers um, that are not being groomed with better leadership skills, you know, approach it from that 20% of what we're doing wrong. And right there, the word wrong is wrong. So, you know, this shift in our paradigm of thinking, I'm loving what I'm hearing. So if we shift from that defensive of where the, and, and the one word I can't stand hearing when I go into um, meetings and stuff, you know, let's find the pain points. How about we find what's really working well and then build 
your culture, whatever that is, whatever the vision is of the organization or the strategic plan, and then let's build from what's working so that you don't have to keep throwing the, ba you know, the, baby, the baby out with the bathwater that we have to recreate, and it, it's so costly to do that. So I'm liking what I'm hearing from you. And, you know, we, we have about seven minutes left, Doug, so I really want you to dig in and share with everybody who's listening, and they're saying, yeah, man, this makes sense. What are the steps that you recommend, um, and you could give examples too if that helps, but what are the steps for them to shift their paradigm from what you're doing wrong, those pain points, to let's, let's build on strength, you know, what's working and, and go from there? Yeah. Well, yeah, and I will. I'll go through them quickly and also I'll offer you, I have a write-up on this that I've done that you can offer to your listeners, no cost. Um, I'll send it to you. Awesome. And you can forward it. The second step, first step is start by what is working, what's already accomplishing the results we want. The second step, what is causing that to work? We become fascinated with what under, understanding what causes things not to work. Take the time to dive into what are we doing. Well, geez, why my team has produced such good results is that Mary's team has been a very helpful to me da, 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 da. that creates deeper levels of team deeper levels of appreciation for each other and again builds on the acknowledgement then the third step now that we have a foundation of what we're doing that's working and why what do we want to accomplish re-examine the goal and the key here is the leader asking each member of the team to share back their understanding of what the objective is. When's the best time to know when one of your people has a different idea? This is, and also it deepens the team dynamic within the people. The fourth step, we want to, in our culture, we like to rush in. Once now we're clear on the objective, let's get moving. Like to suggest that the, there's a step between getting clear on the objective and the action. And that is to go around the team again and ask each individual, what will be the benefits if we do achieve this objective? And that could be personal. It could be for the team. It could be for the customer. Whatever the dynamic, what will be the benefits if we get there? And then what are the costs of not getting there? Now, may have noticed that in these four steps, we've created a gap. The gap is between step one, what are we doing well, and step three, what is the objective? Those are the things that we need to improve on. And that list is going to be a different list that's, than what's wrong with being here, which is the typical approach to implementing a change starting with the problems. See, this way we just identify the things we need to do. Now that we've seeded the, the, what's in it for me, that's what step four is, is to have each pe person on the team own up to what the benefit is for them of getting there. Then we move into action, which is what can we be doing? More of or less of, better or differently, to get closer to our objective. Watch the difference in the richness 
of the participation in that question after the foundation of the first four. And you know, the last little, go ahead. I got mm-hmm. one, yep. just one little piece to close step five is get the list of all these things we can do better and more of. The last part of that process is who's going to do what, by when, and how are we going to measure your results? And then watch that team move into appreciative action, enjoying the process of discovering their own changes. Sure, because they're owning it. They were part of whatever this um, new path, new direction Whatever it is, their their voice was heard and they're part of it. So that and and I love that sixth step. I I just have to comment because I'm all about accountability. You know, we're so quick when we're forced with change. Oh, it's not going to work, and then we undermine so it doesn't work because we were forced to do the change. Whereas this whole process of figure out what's working builds from there. Then you get the feedback from and and you give the kudos to people for everything they've been doing well to that point, right? That's your foundation. What do we want to accomplish? What do we need to change? And whatever the effect is, the benefit to myself, my team, or my customer. And then what are the clear steps or the actions, the how-tos to get us closer to the objectives? And then at the end, What's your timeline? Who's going to be accountable to do what? And then what is that reporting back to us? And that's where you get the appreciative action because it's already what we're doing well. We're just building from there and asking people, what do you think the process should look like instead of dictating? And you made a comment before that I thought was really brilliant that how many of us, if we, and, and I challenge the listeners to think of this, how many of us have made changes and you don't even have to go back that far, just look a year ago to present. What changes have you chosen to make, implemented, succeeded, or are starting to succeed? It might be weight loss or something like that that might take a little bit longer time. So you chose that, you've implemented, you've committed to that. And then think about how good it feels to achieve whatever that goal is that you set for yourself. When somebody's forcing you to change and maybe you didn't want to do that change because fear kicks in and it's uncomfortable and all those things, that's where the resistance comes in. This to me was such a clear um, circle of our conversation and those last six steps I I just think are brilliant and I I hope everybody goes back and listens to figure out, you know, what's working, number one, two, why is it working, deepen the level from your team and give the kudos, hey, thanks, great job, take the foundation of what do we want to accomplish, what do they think their understanding is of what we want to accomplish so we make sure, like we said before, that communication is clear from top to bottom. What is, what's in it for me? What are the benefits? And it's not me personally. It could be my team or the customer. And then what are the clear action steps to achieve it? Who's going to do it? By when? There's your accountability. And then you get appreciative action. I just love that whole six-step process. Um, and here's, just fabulous. And here's a piece. Notice how important is buy-in in this whole thing about change sure. and resistance. Sure. It's all about buy-in. Notice that we get the buy-in in step one because what are people most likely willing to buy into and that is without resisting is that is being acknowledged. Sure. And the old approach 
we, we create all of these walls, defensiveness from the start, to, and then hope buy-in occurs somewhere down the line. Why sure. not start with the buy-in? And that's what this. Now, there is one more step, and that is to go back, come back, whatever your time frame, a week later, two weeks, to put this in place as an ongoing discovery process. Mm-hmm. Then change isn't an event. The team is discovering evolutionary all the things they need to do different as they keep moving toward their best understanding of the objective. So then it's not an event. It's not a traumatic announcement that comes down from on high. It's a natural flow of continuous improvement. Yeah, fluid. It's got to be fluid so that it becomes, and that's the key piece, isn't it, Doug? That it's got to become, it's got to be part of the culture, that fluidity, to just make it part of how they function instead of what's our next project. You're always in project mode, so to speak. Yeah, and notice, too, that that what will start happening is people will start running on these questions in their own heads. Sure. In between the meetings, sure. because we got a meeting in two days, they're going to want to know what am I do. So it keeps people in that mental state that are more likely to produce more and better results consistently. Yeah, so simple, so simple. Again, the definition of insanity. We clearly need to stop doing that old power, that whole old paradigm of thinking, and shift to this really a basic seven-step approach. I love it. I think that's awesome. We're out of time. I want to just let everybody know, and they know I do this every week, but I will put um, Doug's email address, which is dkrug at elsolutions.com and D Krug is K-R-D and then K-R-U-G and also you can visit um, Doug's website at www.elsolutions.com and that's plural and S on the end of solutions.com but I'll post it on the Web Talk Radio website so that you guys can click and go and make it easy peasy for you okay um, Doug thank you so much again for being on the show it's been a real pleasure um, and the the whatever the uh, write up that you did uh, can I can I take that and put a link on the Web Talk Radio sure. or, can, or or is it easier to put a link through your website what do you, what do you think um, whatever works best for you, let's talk about that offline. Okay. We'll figure that out, guys, and we'll get that to you so that you can read the write-up and kind of have notes of everything that we just talked about today. Um, thank th- that, Doug, thank you again so, so much for being on. Great show. Um, I hope you guys will join me weekly as we question, build, and discover together how to grow and challenge ourselves so we embrace change and realize that it really is easy to shift the way we think. Doug gave us seven uh, key steps today from a leadership perspective. You guys have been listening to Architect of Change with me, your host, Connie Whitman, on webtalkradio.net. Thanks so much. Have an awesome week. And go out and change your perspective this week. Be well. You've been listening to The Architect of Change with your host, Connie Whitman of Whitman Associates. Thank you for tuning in. We're glad you were here. Time